Chip, I'd like to start with you. Um, as a policymaker, what interested you in becoming active in the name, image, and likeness space? And how did you form your top policy priorities on this issue? Thank you, Lily. Um, well, it's, first of all, it's a privilege to be on with, uh, with both Blake and, uh, and Darren, who I've had the opportunity to spend some time with both of them. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me, this issue, look, I, I love college sports, and uh, we've got three great uh, schools here in Florida that are represented. It seems a little ACC heavy tonight, which is great. I'm a Noel fan and went to FAU and love the Gators, love the Canes, but it wasn't really about sports so much as it was about fairness in the free market. Uh, again, big sports fan, but really this was about, you know, why is the business uh, economic student able to create an app on, on a, uh, on a, on a uh, market and sell it? Or why is an artist able to do something and sell it? And why is, you know, somebody else allowed to, you know, create off their uh, image likeness or their uh, intellect and it doesn't fall to the student athletes. And, I'm, and again, we're, we're always thinking about great programs like Blake, uh, Blake heads at Miami, and we're talking about football, we're talking about basketball, baseball. But, you know, this is something that really in my heart kept thinking, all right, what about women's golf? What about crew at Miami when there's nothing after that? So really it was a economic issue to allow student athletes to enter the free market. Um, we, uh, so your second part of your question really is how do we get to this point? And uh, Blake was the was very very uh, kind and generous with his time to come up to my district office in Lighthouse Point, which is a long long way pre COVID on a, a traffic ridden I ninety five. And uh, he came up. We talked quite a bit uh, about what was you know what what our vision was. And the one thing I would say, starting with both uh, Blake and uh, the president of UM, all the way up to UF and FSU, the schools that we were able to sit with the ads at all the major schools. One thing I wanted to make sure they understood is, look, I'm not the bad guy. I'm, I'm not trying to undo the great programs that they have at all these great Florida universities as well as out of state. Um, but what we wanted to do is make sure that, that uh, we could do this in a manner that just said, all right, well, this is not a taking on the NCAA issue. This is Florida saying, look, we spend a lot of time, energy, resources, money in our university system. We have a say in this. As, as a Florida legislature and the governor uh, signed on almost immediately as a former Yale baseball player and understood um, kind of the very narrow space we were trying to get into and worked quite a bit with uh, not just Darren, but with Ramogi Huma uh, through the process. And I don't know if he's on the, the audio portion of that, but of this, but my uh, legislative aide, Corey Senecia was, uh, was instrumental in this. And, and uh, really it, it was a passion project for him. And for me, it was a fairness project. Yeah, that's a really interesting background, Chip. Thanks so much for sharing that. Uh, Darren, I'd like to move to you because as Lily mentioned, I know you were heavily involved in the legislative process as well for this bill. Um, compared to the California's SB 206 bill, which was first, Florida's arguably has made a bigger difference um, on overall reform, mostly in part due to its earlier deadline uh, or date of effect uh, in July, 2021. And I'd love to get your thoughts on uh, what, what's your thinking behind this earlier deadline and why did you guys push for this? Well, Zach, I lost you a little bit, uh, but I think your question was why an earlier deadline than California? And, and certainly when we were looking at drafting legislation and I was working very closely with Representative Lamarca and his uh, chief legal uh, legislative assistant, Corey Stanisa, who I see is here, we were looking at what California had done. And we used that as a base model and tried to figure out how we can make it better. We looked at California and Colorado. And obviously since uh, the legislation was passed in the state of Florida, we've had New Jersey and Nebraska follow suit. But what's really interesting is even those states after us, Nebraska and New Jersey, neither of them have the same effective data as us. We have New Jersey, which is actually 2025. Nebraska that has allowed schools to actually right now implement these publicity rights for college athletes. But if that doesn't happen, it goes into effect 2023. So when we sat down and really discussed this, we asked ourselves, is there justification for waiting until 2023? And what is the foundation for California waiting so long? Certainly it made sense to have a window. We couldn't just implement it and make it effective immediately. Although I will tell you, the original draft and in our discussions, we were talking about and we had drafted legislation that would have made effect in July 1 of this year. Now, that was prior to COVID. This is when I was discussing this initially with 
representative market of course in Asia, that was September 2019. So there's no indication that we would be hit a nation by COVID. Um, in hindsight being 2020, perhaps having that built in longer window until July 1, 2021 was in fact advantageous. And most importantly now, what I see is because the legislation intentionally is only six pages in length, it's concise and precise, it leaves the regulation creation to a board of governors and also the State Department of Education. And then that process, it's not something that's occurred overnight. So we thought that ultimately in when the bill was being debated in the House of Representatives and in the, in the Senate of the state of Florida, there was an agreement on July 1, 2021, which was enough time, we believe. Both houses believe that that was enough time to create the necessary regulations. And we didn't want to just cave into the NCAA's desires. We wanted to do, as, as Representative Labarca mentioned, what is right for the students, for the athletes. And to be honest, it's an altruistic goal. While universities in the state of Florida may have a recruiting advantage for the time being, it may be temporary, it may be temporary, but that wasn't the goal. That may be a consequence. The real goal here was to give these rights to athletes as soon as possible. And we believed and, could, and still believe that we can accomplish that with a shortened time frame, as opposed to, let's say, California. Now, part of the effect of Florida's bill, uh, or, and now law, has been to apply pressure on both the NCAA and Congress uh, to act, especially with this 2021 uh, July 1st deadline in mind. And Darren, I know I heard you speak on this briefly uh, earlier today on the Sportico's uh, webinar, which was a really fantastic event. I encourage everyone to check it out. Um, but I want to ask both you and, and Chip, how do you guys see potential NCAA action uh, squaring with Florida's law? And then further, how do you see congressional action on the federal level squaring with Florida's law? Well, I'll just let me uh, at least say the the short answer for me really is that our our law specifically did not call out or take issue with the NCAA. So we are, you know, we feel very strongly that our, you know, very uh, concise, as Darren said, uh, law, you know, identifies the the benefits from this. And it, it just so you're aware, this bill got uh, a lot longer when leadership in the Florida House wanted to basically make it a college athletes bill of rights and included uh, insurance issues, health and disability and things like that. So um, we, we, we got it back to the framework where we, which we really started with when Darren and uh, Corey and I sat down and, and, and looked at this. But from a standpoint of, uh, you know, I personally think the best thing that could happen is this is the at least the framework or the uh, the template for the rest of the, the states and it will get hopefully the, uh, the US Congress, hopefully post-election here to get to the table and create something that is very similar and, and can take place in 50 states. And as much as I'd love uh, Blake and, and all the other uh, programs here in Florida to have a little bit of advantage, I think really the, the most important part is that we're, you know, we're, we're you know, asking uh, and incentivizing you know, the feds to come in and do something prior to NCAA. Yeah, I think what's interesting throughout the process in navigating it with Representative Lamarca, it was interesting to see how our original very precise and concise bill was then morphed into something that was sort of outside the scope of just name, image, and likeness. One thing that I'm happy that stuck that we didn't originally include in the bill was this mandatory financial literacy and life skills workshop component where at a minimum, and it could be more, but at a minimum, every school has to provide five hours of education in the form of financial literacy and these life skills workshops at the beginning of a first and third academic years uh, for the athletes if they last that long at the university. But to answer your question about reconciling what we're doing in the state of Florida with NCA efforts and, and those efforts on the national level in Congress, well, we don't really know what the NCA is going to do just yet, right? We have recommendations that have been provided, but no legislation. And the hope certainly is that they take what we've done into consideration, although I don't necessarily bank on that occurring, especially based on those recommendations that were provided earlier on. What's interesting with Congress is that if Congress does pass legislation and there's not a lot of time to do that, the proposals have all included preemption of what the states have done. So if in fact, both chambers do pass legislation and it's signed by 
either the current president or the president-elect, then really for all intents and purposes, it could render our bill in the state of Florida moot, as well as those that have been passed in the other four states and any efforts by the 20 plus states that are also currently considering legislation. And there's really three main efforts on Capitol Hill. There's one by Marco Rubio, which is the most NCA friendly. There's another proposal by Senators Cory Booker, who I heard you've had on here before, Kamala Harris and others, which it would be actually way beyond just name, image, and likeness, including pay for play and, and scholarships indefinitely. Um, and then what I think is the most bipartisan and probably best effort, that being by Anthony Gonzalez and Emmanuel Cleaver, uh, to really just focus on name, image, and likeness, create committees, a committee that would kind of govern and provide regulations and limit certain categories and put that off limits, but otherwise sort of be hands off, which is really what we've tried to do in the state of Florida, create this sort of free market economy. Very interesting. And I'd like to pick up on one of the things you mentioned, which is NCAA governance and what types of uh, the recommendations that the NCAA has put forth in terms of reform proposals. And Blake, I'd like to turn to you to get some insight to the NCAA's governance process. As Lily mentioned in your intro, you were chair of the NCAA Division I Council for two years. Um, and just last month, that same council, which is now chaired by University of Pennsylvania Athletic Director Grace Calhoun, um, proposed the set of uh, NCAA proposals that, that we just discussed. Uh, can you talk about that, that process of, of how that council likely came up with those proposals and what next steps you would envision for them from here? Well, I think it's been touched on here. A lot of it's going to be dictated as to what happens on the national level. Uh, you know, we're in a, in a spot in Florida. We have our law in place. We know what our law is. Uh, I've, I've said this to uh, Representative Lamarca before, but I think they did an outstanding job of really addressing an issue that that needed to be addressed. Um, as he touched on, he and I had conversations, I had a number of conversations with um, his colleagues in Tallahassee, and uh, I think they did a great job. I, I hope <laughs> I hope our leadership in Washington can do as good a job as they did, I think, to be the right thing. Uh, but to answer your question, through the different conferences, uh, you send proposals up through the association to the council, the council in certain situations can vote uh, on those types of topics. Uh, and at the same time, they can send them to vote by the membership. And so uh, another one that's out there, transfer legislation, which you touched on that Grace and, and the council had brought forward recently, that's one that's gonna be voted on in, in January by the entire membership. So uh, it's, a, it's a process where you have, each conference has a representative on the council. I served as the ACC representative for four years. My final two as chair of the group. You have that group that kind of really uh, vets things. And in certain cases, like I said, uh, will vote things into place. Uh, but there's a, a lot of situations where it goes to an, a vote of the entire membership. Uh, in some cases, just division one, in some cases, divisions one, two, and three. And so uh, it's uh, obviously a huge association and, and one that uh, is, is needing to address issues in some ways at different levels. I don't think it's a secret to anyone. How we operate at Miami is, is different than even how I operated when I was the athletic director at the University of Maine and we're both division one programs. So um, there's, a, there's a lot of moving parts to it, uh, but the council really is that, uh, that opportunity for all 32 conferences to have a voice in, in really either determining the legislation or determining how the legislation looks as it goes to a vote to the association. Great, Blake, thank you for that insight. So we're, we wanna continue um, with you, Blake, and we really wanna discuss the on the ground effects that this new um, law will have um, on the collegiate sports world in Florida come July, 2021. So Blake, how are universities and athletic departments like the University of Miami preparing for this uh, July, 2021 date of effect? And what kind of impacts do you expect um, NIL to have on athletic departments and their business? Um, in the future? Well, I, I guess I think it depends on where it goes. Again, as I said, we're very familiar with the Florida law. And I think the, the law in Florida did a good job of really creating opportunities for young people to have NLI opportunities and, and monetize those opportunities and take advantage uh, of, that, of that brand that they've created. Um, well, at the same time, doing a good job of keeping it uh, out of what I'll say is a recruiting inducement booster type situation. Uh, 
uh, that uh, I don't know where that's going to go at the national level. And so I think a lot of a lot of institutions, Miami being one, uh, obviously are preparing for a variety of things. As Darren touched on, there's there's a number of legis uh, legislative pieces at the national level right now. Uh, I've been I'm confident there's a, at least one more to come and, and maybe more than that. And so how that all plays out and does it play out in in a legis uh, a Senate uh, that is Republican led, Republican led uh, during a, a lame duck period, or is it something that doesn't play out until there's there's a, a new uh, president in place and potentially new control of, of the Senate that we won't find out until January. So uh, I think where this ultimately ends up will really determine where uh, a lot of schools have to go. Uh, but I would say, you know, whether it's in, in a state like Florida, where we know we have a law in place and we're going to be ready to go uh, to states who don't have that law, everyone in the association uh, is, is getting ready and, and, and really trying to prepare. The hard part is you don't know exactly what it's going to look like. I've, I've long said to my ACC colleagues, and uh, I actually serve on an on a autonomy committee at the NCA with uh, the AD from Michigan, Texas Tech, uh, Washington, and, um, and then a, an administrator from the SEC conference, that what we have put in place in Florida, uh, in a lot of ways, I think is, is a model that we should really try to push on the national level. You just don't know which way it's going to go, and, and it's hard to answer your question <laughs> until we have a, a real clear idea of what it looks like nationally. But uh, you know, here in Florida, I think we'd be in a good spot and, and ready to move forward if, if the Florida law were the one that were to uh, be uh, adopted nationally. Great. Uh, thank you for that. That's very interesting. And now moving on back to Darren. Um, I imagine that in the process of coming up with Florida's law, you contemplated these potential effects that the law would have on Florida schools, um, like Blake mentioned, recruiting, postseason eligibility, um, compared to schools in other states who don't have uh, NIL laws in place. So what do you perceive as um, the advantages and disadvantages um, for Florida's college sports ecosystem once this law goes into effect? Well, it's interesting because I, I think that there's actually effects prior to the law going into effect. Uh, and I think that there is a, a fairly genuine concern that Florida has a leg up on recruiting at the moment as we sit here right now. And that's simply because we are guaranteeing athletes with this valuable right as of July 1, 2021, which is a good two years prior to any other state. And so while there's this discussion about the NCA creating legislation and people assume that the NCA will change its rules by July 1, 2021. In fact, Senator Rubio's bill says that the NCA needs to and on June by June 30th, 2021, that that date is intentional. No one is certain as to what will occur. But meanwhile, it is certain that Florida has a new law and that its effective date is really less than a, a year from now. Uh, and so this, this probably has less of an effect on University of Florida or University of Miami, which already competes for the top players throughout the country. But what about a University of Central Florida? What about a University of South Florida or FAU, FIU? Are they now much more marketable than they were in the past? And I think that is yes. I think right now those schools are likely going out there on the recruiting trail and saying, hey, we know what our state is allowing us come July 1, 2021. And no other school in any other state can guarantee that to you right now. And I think that's powerful. I know I, I haven't spoken to uh, anyone in, in compliance with the athletic de department at the University of Miami, but I have spoken to other schools throughout the state. And I know that they are using it to their advantage. They question what are the best practices and what is allowed, but they are certainly putting it in the minds of recruits that you will have these rights in the state of Florida and it's not guaranteed elsewhere. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's, we, I feel like we tend to think of power five schools when it comes to uh, national sports news, but like you said, this this law has uh, arguably a bigger impact on smaller schools and, and athletes who participate in less popular sports. Um, so going back to Chip, uh, Representative Lamarca, so going off of what Darren mentioned, um, what would you consider to be a success for this law um, in three to five years? Like, so like, what would success look like to you? Well, I, you know, I think uh, kind of as I said before, uh, success means that 
not just the top QB at, at uh, Florida and Miami and Florida State uh, have some type of endorsement based on who they are, but, you know, a Dana Castellanos, um, a top uh, softball or volleyball, you know, female, I, for me, a female athlete as well as male athletes, uh, professional sports that have a professional career after an opportunity uh, as well as ones that don't. And, you know, really, uh, you know, we could look back and say, well, is, is this something that would have would have kept uh, uh, Zion Williams in college? You know, if there's a million dollar endorsement, maybe. Uh, but the reality is, I mean, there's there's a lot of one offs. But you think about what success success is. You know, the the not just the top two players of any one particular sport are able to monetize who they are and what they're doing while they're in school. But you know, other sports and uh, you know the, the the other positions, you know, not your key positions, are able to do something if they've got a great personality or a talent outside even just uh you know playing playing the sport that they're in, in college for um but really success will mean that you know, these student athletes are it was it was an interesting process because when you're trying to tell other legislators who are thinking well just getting the education should be enough or getting a getting to play a sport should be enough so well you know a lot of students don't get to play don't get to take the classes they want or get the education they want in undergrad because of the demands of, of uh Athletics. So for me, uh, just, you know, allowing them to be part of uh, the rest of the with their fellow students. And as Darren said, you know, the other part, I think of this would probably be, uh, and, and uh, Blake made a heck of an endorsement. I think that what Congress does, you know, and I agree that really the, um, the Ohio uh, bill, um, Gonzalez and the other, and the other uh, rep, the, their bill is probably kind of cuts the, cuts the middle and something like that happens nationwide. That means we did our job here in Florida. And, you know, I, I've, we've got to give credit to a governor who really, you know, he really believed in what uh, what we were doing. I mean, so much that when we announced that when we signed the bill, it was at UM and in the, in the indoor facility. And we had Corey Simon from Florida State and Jonathan Vilma from from Miami. And, uh, you know, it just it was it was a real homecoming type of uh, type of event where we you know, we knew there was trust at the top. So really, for me, it'll be looking back and seeing if the United States is doing what Florida's doing. All right. Uh, for our last few questions before Q and A, um, I'd like to kind of look ahead of of how we see this this NIL market shaping up in the future. Uh, and, and Darren, I uh, want to get your thoughts here. How do you think the NIL market should be organized? I know we've seen with firms such as Casey Schwab's Altius Sports Partners um, and Teamworks and a bunch of other firms are operating in this space. How do you see the market forming uh, in the next few years? Well, it's an interesting question. I mean, we, we want to be as hands-off as possible, I would say, but at the same time, do what we can to protect the athletes. So under the statute in the state of Florida, licensed athlete agents and lawyers who are licensed to practice law and are in good standing will have the ability to advise players with regard to their publicity right potential. And so that's one thing that's very important. In order to actually represent these individuals in procuring and negotiating these deals, you have to be one of two things, either licensed as an agent, which you can currently do through the DBPR, it's the same process, or be licensed as an attorney. Those are your two options. And I think that's really important because we want to do what we can to best ensure that these athletes are having adequate scrupulous representation. Obviously, just because you're licensed as an agent in the state or just because you're licensed as a lawyer does not necessarily protect these athletes entirely, but these are safeguards that have been put in place. So that's number one. Number two, as you mentioned, you know, Casey Schwab's uh, platform that he's created and Open Doors, a, a, an influencer. These are types of programs that may associate with universities. And if they do, I think it's important that they stay away from conflicts. If they're working directly with the universities, then they also should not be working with the athletes or in procuring opportunities. And one thing that we've made very clear in the statute is that the universities or the people that are attached or affiliated with universities cannot be involved in this process of procurement or negotiation. And that's really important. You kind of want to create this Chinese wall so as not to have any sort of privity between the universities, the players, and the third parties. That's where things can run afoul. Not only because there's normative reasons for keeping these parties apart, 
but also as has sometimes been brought up as a red herring, Title IX issues. When the schools get involved directly in these types of agreements and opportunities, someone could raise an issue in court saying that it's not equal treatment of the athletes. So we wanna keep the schools out of it. And as Blake James also talked about, we wanna make sure that there's not improper influence by boosters to the best extent possible. None of us are naive to think that boosters don't have influence currently, but we should be doing whatever we can to equal, to make it a level playing field. And so if a red flag is raised, that needs to be brought to someone's attention. And these are things, again, that the Board of Governors and the State Department of Education should be working out in regulations between now and July 2021. Yeah, thank you for that background. That was a, that was a great um, recap of, of your thoughts there. Uh, and then my, for my last question before Q&A, uh, I'd like to go to Blake and kind of a very similar question, but specifically, what do you see the role of universities and, and you, folks like you in the athletic director's seat? How, what's your role uh, or obligations moving forward as the NIL market uh, becomes established? Well, I think as, as Darren just touched on, it ends, it really is going to be determined by where this ultimately ends up. I think in Florida, as we look at it right now, it'll be hands off. And I think our, our role really will be educating our young people on these types of opportunities. And then working with people like Representative Lamarca, going back to what Darren touched on, on unscrupulous agents that may be licensed, because again, I think we did a good job of requiring a licensed agent or a lawyer to be the representative for this young person. Uh, but we want to make sure that if we're going to create opportunities for young people to monetize their name, image, and likeness, that they're the ones that are actually really earning that monetization of their name, image, and likeness. And I think, you know, unfortunately, these, these kids aren't going to be familiar with dealing with contracts and all those different types of things. And we, we hear horror stories all the time about professionals who have gone into bad deals and, and lost, you know, millions of dollars. And so, uh, while I don't see it necessarily being at that level, you still want them to be be able to realize all the money that they're doing. Again, you look at something like Cameo, what's the going rate for Cameo and is that commensurate with, you know, what one of my student athletes is doing. And so, you know, working on educating them, recognizing, I think, as Darren said, I think we need to be hands off as it's set up right now in terms of avoiding any type of Title IX type conflicts or, or lawsuits. And then as we learn more about how this is playing off, going back to people like Representative Lamarca who have an interest in this area, and giving them some feedback on things that we're learning in the process that maybe we can help further protect these young people and allow them to greater capitalize on this law that was put in place really for them to be able to do things, not for others to be able to monetize on their name, image, and likeness. That, that, that was the, I think one of the things that, you know, we, we talked about Representative Lamarck and I um, back, I don't remember when it was when we were putting this in place, but a, a while back. And uh, again, I think we've done a good job in Florida. I just hope we can do that same type of, uh, uh, work at the national level to you know really protect young people while giving them this opportunity to capitalize on name image and likeness very fascinating thank you blake and i i it's comforting to hear that uh those are your thoughts as an athletic director uh, for power five uh university um i'd like to now turn it over to uh, the question and answer session um and so i'll, I'll turn it over first to anita mormon uh, Anita, if you can uh, open your, your video here and uh, ask your question, that would be awesome. Good evening, everyone. I'm sorry I don't have my video active, if you don't mind. But I did have a, a question for, actually, it could be anyone on the panel. Um, I really appreciate you all discussing the proposed policies and the legislative models that prohibit endorsements of alcohol and gambling. Um, and the rationale for that prohibition and whether you feel it's consistent considering the number of universities that are becoming active in those spaces. Give you a Blake question first. Yeah, so I'll, I'll go at it first. I guess what I would say is, and we are a school that has, uh, I remember all the topics you said, alcohol, I know it was one, I think you said tobacco. We don't do tobacco, but using alcohol is one. I think, you know, what I would say from my perspective is I would want to make sure that the young person was doing it in lines with, with what the institution, the institutional guidelines are, if, if they're going to be representing it that way. Um, but again, I don't know that that's something that we'd ultimately will have determination on. Uh, again, I think it will 
see how this all plays out. Uh, but I think to be consistent with, with what we're saying, I, I don't think it's fair for us to say you can't do any of these categories if we're doing them as institutions. So I don't know how this will ultimately, ultimately all play out, but uh, I do think that's something that needs to be discussed. And, and if the, the Florida law is one that uh, is adopted nationally, uh, you know, again, I think it's one, as I said before, we have to continue to look at it and, and really look at what are the consistent things and what are the fair things, and what are the right things to do to uh, allow these people to continue to monetize name, image, and likeness. To be clear, the uh, the Florida law does not currently include any category any categories that are off limits. Uh, I'm sure that'll be something that the Board of Governors and State Department of Education tackles between now and, and July of 2021. My reference to those categories was actually um, because uh, in the federal bill in Congress uh, that was most recently proposed, the bipartisan legislation that I had referenced. That bill includes specific categories that are off limits, including adult entertainment, tobacco, uh, I believe, I don't know if marijuana specifically, um, but illegal substances, gambling. And I think the question though is a really good one because meanwhile, we're seeing very recently Colorado enter into a gambling deal with PointsBet. And then separately, just today, we saw New Mexico State license its intellectual property to a liquor brand to create a brand surrounding their logos and whatever other trademarks that they possess. So is it fair from a normative standpoint for universities to have the capacity to enter into these types of deals, but then preclude the athletes? And it's certainly a discussion that needs to be held. And I don't think that there's enough people, certainly at the NCAA who are really strongly considering this. If we're going to tell the athletes that they can't enter these types of deals. Shouldn't we also be telling the universities to stay away as well? And again, I, that's how I just would build on Darren's comment there. And hopefully I did a, a good job of communicating that. I think we have to be consistent as, as we go forward. And so young people need to understand. So if the University of Miami isn't going to allow tobacco as an institution, and that's something we're standing by, and that's the expectation we have of students coming in to Miami, that's a choice they know, or I guess that's a reality they know coming in. If, if another school gives them that opportunity and that's what they want to do. I think you have to be reflective of your institutional uh, principles and, uh, and, and values. And uh, if, if at one institution they're into gambling or um, adult entertainment or whatever it is, and they're able to do that, then I, I think you have to afford those students that same opportunity. But again, these are things I think we'll need to grow uh, as this legislation uh, evolves. And you know, one quick thing on that. Uh, that this was a topic of discussion when we were uh, going through the committee process on this bill and uh, somebody asked this question and, and uh, you know, my answer was there was a reason why Randy Moss didn't finish at Florida State, team roles. The same thing as, as Blake mentioned, the, the institutions, the universities have uh, issues of morality in their, in their team roles. And, and I think this is covered, probably best covered uh, institution by institution, but at the same time, clearly if it becomes a, a federal law, you know, Colorado and New Mexico are def definitely different places than Florida, but uh, it's an interesting question. Thank, thank you so much for your answers. I appreciate all of you. Thank you, Anita, for that question. So for our next question, we're gonna turn to Nicole Torres from Stetson Law. So Nicole, um, please turn on your mic or camera and uh, ask your question. Hi. Um, my question is, well, I'll start off with, I know that the NLRB in Chicago ruled that college athletes are employees. Do you think that all student athletes could be considered employees at some point in the future? I'll give you a quick answer as a non-lawyer, but as someone who is involved with, with uh, writing policy and, and ultimately uh, these things that would be implemented, I absolutely do not. I mean, that would, that's, that's a terrifying thought for me as a, as a Floridian. Um, I do think the, the student athletes should be, uh, should have every right and responsibility, but um, you know, that's, that, that's an interesting uh, situation to happen in, in uh, Illinois, but I don't think that's going to be something that flies in Florida. I, I would say this. I hope not. I am, I'm nervous that something like that could happen. You touched on the situation in Chicago. We're talking 18 to 22 year olds that yes, they're adults and, and all those things, but college is really a growing, a growing period. It's a situation where I'd hate to see it turn into an employer employee relationship. We see 
we see guys get let go all the time on, or, and even women let go all the time in professional type situations in sports, but even beyond sports in life. And I, I think to have an opportunity to learn, to, to learn from mistakes, you're going to make mistakes. I think any one of us, I believe you're all law students. So if you look back to decisions you made as a freshman to where you are today, you look at some of them and say, hey, that might not have been the smartest thing to do. And I'd hate to see it turn into an employer-employee relationship where you're walking people in saying you're fired, we're grabbing your playbook and uh, you know, catch the next, uh, the next bus out of town. Um, it, it needs to hopefully stay about education. Again, even at a, at a program like the University of Miami, we've had great success in young people being able to go on and play the sport they love. We're still talking 90% of our football players uh, are, are going out and, and whether it's going to law school or getting a job or, or doing whatever it is, it's not necessarily playing in the NFL. And I think that's a, a reality that sometimes gets lost. And so I hope um, it doesn't. And obviously it's great to have uh, friends in, in Tallahassee like Representative Lamarca that have that same type of uh, focus on the educational aspect while still being able to do some uh, a sport you love and, and now being able to capitalize on uh, and monetize name, image, and likeness. So that'd be my thoughts. So I think it would be extremely difficult from a legal perspective. Before I get into that, the question's important because of group licensing. If we ever want to get back the NCAA video game uh, or do other types of group licensing, there needs to be some sort of collective effort. But that could be accomplished through a trade association as opposed to a union. So there is a solution present. In fact, the NFL Players Association has offered to assist in organizing uh, for group licensing purposes. To get to the specifics of the, of the legal issues, and I'll try to be brief, uh, the Chicago section of the NLRB did in fact uh, recognize the right of Northwestern football players to unionize. But when that was then appealed to Washington DC to the full board, it was shot down, it was punted. Um, and, and mainly there are two big reasons. One, in order to unionize, you really have to have a, a large collective effort. Just the Northwestern football players would not be large enough in terms of a bargaining unit when you think about the vast number of individuals throughout NCAA sports. And it's not just college football throughout the country, obviously. The other issue really becomes the difference between private and public universities. While there may be a right on the private universities, there's less of a right necessarily for those athletes at public universities. And some states may recognize that right, while others may not. And so there's many legal hurdles toward unionization from, you know, and, and then separately, if we're really concerned about group licensing, perhaps that goal can be accomplished through trade associations, as opposed to, go, to going through that whole ordeal again that, that the Northwestern players tried to go through. All right, and for our final question, we'll turn it over to Adam Arnaud uh, from the University of Miami. Adam. Hi guys, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. Uh, Blake, I'm actually one of the players that you talked about. I'm an alumni of the University of Miami football program from 2016. Obviously didn't go on to the league, found my way into law school. Uh, so my question is, you talked about the education aspect and how we need to somehow bridge the gap and give some type of contractual knowledge to these athletes that are now in the locker room there. And if the school is using uh, sources like Open Doors and Influencer, that kind of thing, obviously there would be a conflict of interest having those organizations then come and educate the players as well. Who do you see filling that education gap? Is that a marketing agent? Is that purely attorneys? I'm just curious on your thoughts of how that education gap is going to uh, You know, it's, it's a tough one to answer right now, not knowing ultimately where we end up, but I, I agree with you. I, you, I think is you all are probably familiar with a company called Influencer uh, and Jim Cavell heads Influencer. You know, Jim, uh, you know, I, I think is, is looking at this area and, and I had that conversation with, with uh, you know, Jim back uh, a while ago now that COVID everything seems to be longer than it probably was. Uh, but I, I do, I, I agree, you can't, you can't be working, a school can't be working with it on one side and have it working with your student athletes on the other. And so um, to me, it's gonna be some type of educational aspect. As I said in my comments earlier, I think that's the role hopefully institutions are playing in this. Uh, what that looks like, I think depends on where the law ultimately uh, ends up um, and, and how that looks. Uh, I, I said to our coaches as early as, uh, or as recent as our, our coaches meeting today, that 
we're not going to sign on with the third party until we have a clear understanding of, of where this ends up. And you, you all see schools signing on. And again, each institution makes decisions based on what they feel is best for the institution. So I don't mean this to be uh, a shot or criticism of any other school. I just, my belief is let's see where things are at and then find out what really is best. Because to your point, Adam, is that a marketing company? Is that attorneys coming in? Is it some niche out there that someone looks at where the law ends up and says, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to come in and, and teach your kids A, B, and C, and that looks right in line with what we want to be able to do for our kids. I just don't know right now. It's going to make for a very busy spring because what I do know is this law goes in place July 1st, 2021 in the state of Florida, and we're going to be ready to go for our student athletes on July 1st, and obviously that's going to take a lot of ramp-up time to get there. So um, not a great answer to your question, uh, but I, I will say I'm confident that we'll end up with some type of educational third-party type support. I just don't know what it exactly looks like yet. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you, Adam. Um, we actually have time for one more question. So Emily Bensadun, sorry if I pronounced your last name wrong. Um, can you come on and ask your question? Emily, maybe not. Okay, so uh, next we could have Dylan Herringer from UNH um, ask his question. Yeah, thanks. So you guys spoke to it a little bit. I wanted to get some feedback on what everyone's thoughts were, were on the bipartisan bill by Rep Gonzalez and Rep Cleaver. You guys think it'll pass 2021 and um, just some general feedback. You know, I'll defer to Darren seems to be most up to date. I, I, I've looked at so many different ones. I, I'm not sure I could speak specifically to it. I do think one of them will pass. Something will pass. I, I, I could speak specifically to uh, Representative uh, Gonzalez's bill. I have heard very positive things about it, though. So uh, I'm going to unfortunately not be able to answer that one. You know, it's so difficult sitting here. I don't think any of us really are qualified to answer whether or not it will pass. There's so many things going on in the world, specifically in our country, COVID, uh, issues with the election and so on and so forth, potentially a lame duck president. Um, and I don't know that this is necessarily going to be a priority either before the end of this year uh, or in the beginning of next year. And before you know it, it'll be July 1, 2021. So I I guess if I had to place a bet, I would say that Congress does not have the capacity to actually push this through, despite the fact that I heard a senator earlier today indicate that he was absolutely certain that something would pass. He's just not sure what it is. With regard specifically to uh, Representative Gonzalez and Cleaver's piece of legislation, again, I think it's the best one that I've seen thus far. Uh, it's sponsored by individuals on both sides of the aisle. Uh, it is uh, a moderate bill. It doesn't go beyond name, image, and likeness. Uh, one component that I think is fantastic is that it doesn't limit uh, an individual's capacity to endorse brands, even if a brand may conflict with a brand uh, that is uh, in a relationship with the university. So for instance, using my alma mater University of Florida as an example, the school has a deal with Jordan brand, but there's limitations on that deal. The Jordan brand can't require the athletes when let's say they're off the field of play to wear Jordan brand apparel. So the bill that they have proposed would allow those athletes to then perhaps endorse Adidas when they're not on the field, but obviously would have to wear the Jordan brand apparel on the field. And that's very similar to the relationship currently in let's say the NFL, where the league has a deal with Nike and you have to wear the Nike jerseys on the field. But many of these athletes have deals with Adidas and Puma and other brands. So I like that aspect of the legislation. And again, one component that I really like is that it tries to take a lot of the decision-making and power out of the NCAA's hands. And the NCAA should somewhat appreciate that. The creation of this 13-member committee made up of really people who would be independent from the NCAA would help establish the rules, regulations, and the quote-unquote guardrails, a term that the NCAA likes to use, surrounding the enforcement 
and the mechanisms to enforce the legislation. So nothing's perfect, but I think it's the best option currently on the table. And as Blake James mentioned, I wouldn't be surprised if we see one, two, three more options presented even before the end of this year. I, I just, I'll add to that. Um, there's one thing certain in Congress is that everyone says something's gonna get done and very rarely does something get done. And that's why with a two month legislative, uh, legislative session in Florida, if something gets through committees to the floor, something's gonna happen to it, whether it passes or not is totally up to the member who's running the bill and their Senator. But um, just looking at it, I mean, I, I, I think uh, the will is gonna have to be, uh, as, as was previously talked about, Marco's bill, for example, Senator Rubio from Florida, um, it was, there, there were some, some uh, things in that bill that were clearly a preemption bill for Florida and we had some conversations with his staff, but but uh, I agree with uh, with, with both uh, Blake and uh, and Darren that uh, Gonzalez's bill is probably the best. And what they what they would need to do is build a coalition within the within the Congress and, for example, in the House, both sides of the aisle. I mean, that's how this bill was passed. It was a very bipartisan bill. As a matter of fact, the few people that did not vote for it, um, I think all but one was a Republican that did not vote for it. They were. I'd say it, Darren, but they were all either SEC, uh, they were either Auburn or or Florida folks uh, because of whatever thoughts they had, maybe that Florida or Auburn thought about the bill, but it was very uh, bipartisan and Democratic members spoke out very uh, positive about the bill because of the, the rights that it would, would install with our student athletes. So I think if Gonzalez can be successful uh, with Cleaver, they need to continue to build a coalition in the U.S. House of Representatives. All right. Thank you, uh, Dylan, for that question. Um, so we've reached almost the end of our hour here. Uh, it went by very quickly, but I'd like to get, let, leave the last few minutes uh, to each of our panelists to give a final few uh, closing remarks, uh, if you choose. Um, uh, Blake, we, we can start with you if you'd like. Sure. Uh, you know, one, uh, I don't know how many of you are on here tonight, but uh, college athletics is, is a great industry. It's gonna continue to be a part of uh, American culture. I'm confident of that. Is it going to change? Yes, it's going to continue to change. Does it need to change? It does. I, I will tell you in 13 years as an athletic director, it's, it's changed significantly, but I think it's conversations like this and, and decisions that are made that help it evolve. Um, sometimes I think one of the things the association has been uh, bad at is, is one, communicating things that, that, that change, and the other, we've been slow at making changes. And so I think you'll see a continued change, but I do think you'll continue to see whether it's Miami, Florida State or whatever your school is playing that big game, uh, it's going to continue to happen. Obviously, we have kids from all over the world that come and compete in college athletics. It's a great institution and it's one that I'm confident will be part of higher education uh, going forward. I do think name, image, and likeness is a, is a good thing. I think, as I've said here many times, what we have in Florida was the right step. Darren touched on group licensing. I'm a fan of group licensing. Uh, I think there's some some things that we need to do to try to figure out how to get that into college athletics. And I'm hoping it'll be in uh, college athletics in the future. So um, out of respect of everyone's time and uh, I'll yield the rest of uh, our hour to my my two colleagues. Yeah, I'll, I'll just, uh, I know Darren has a lot on this, this topic, but for me, uh, this issue, well, first of all, look, I, as a state, elected state uh, representative. And I appreciate the folks that mentioned that I uh, got reelected. It was a tough election. And uh, my opponent actually uh, poked fun and, and belittled the student athlete bill and, and college athletics. And uh, what was frustrating is that, you know, this wasn't uh, an effort to help one team or help, uh, you know, particular players or anything. This is just to make the system more fair. And as someone who's entrusted with the vote of the people and to be their voice in Tallahassee, um, for me, the, the most important thing is to be able to go back, as, as Blake had mentioned, if there are things that the Board of Governors gets stuck on or whatever it might be, my commitment is to continue to try to make both this legislation and anything that helps our collegiate athletes uh, or students in general uh, have a better experience in, in Florida. And um, ultimately, you know, it was a privilege to run the bill. And I, I can't leave the conversation uh, without saying that um, my my uh, legislative aide, who was just my campaign manager, so he's successful both at writing legislation and helping with that process and getting me reelected. Uh, Corey Sinisi, who's on the call, I mean, he was he was there every step of the way, and and there were there were a lot of 
opportunities for people to try to take this out from under us. And, and uh, we did it and we included a, a Miami uh, now commissioner, the minority leader of the Florida House in the bill at, at the last minute to show that it was a, something that from Florida and not just South Florida, but all of Florida, but both sides of the aisle. So it's a privilege to serve and, and uh, hope Blake and I can have the opportunity to do better things for our college athletes. I know that uh, Chip Lamarca, his aide, Corey Stanisia, have received a lot of praise thus far for what they've accomplished. It's not enough. Uh, I think that, you know, Representative Lamarca took a, an idea that at the time actually was not that popular. While today, it's hard to find anybody who will say that these are rights that college athletes don't deserve. That was not always the case. In fact, Mark Emmert, not that long ago, said that we can't allow this because it will open up Pandora's box and he was not in favor of it. So I give Representative Lamarca a lot of credit, not only for really pushing this movement in the state of Florida when at the time California was the only state that had passed legislation, but taking the very, very bold step, knowing that he would put a target on his back by having an effective date originally of July 2020, which was eventually 2021. And then I also want to say I'm very enthused by hearing what Blake James has had to say tonight. I have never, I don't, I don't know that we've had a conversation before. If so, it was a long time ago, but certainly not on this particular subject. And to hear a, an athletic director of the stature of Blake James in support of what we've done in the state of Florida and to hear how he wants to try to implement this and, and believes that what we've done in Florida should serve as a model on a national level, that makes me really happy. Uh, there's still a lot to be done. I do think that, you know, while I'm very excited about these rights that, have, that will be provided to college athletes in the state of Florida, I truly would love nothing more than to see our act preempted by a national law, if in fact, it was a fair and equitable law. And so I'm hopeful that that's what will happen. But if not, I think it's really important that we don't take our foot off the gas, that we ensure that college athletes in the state of Florida earn these rights, irrespective of what the NCAA does. And I think it'll be a really interesting next, what, eight, nine months uh, to see what happens on the national level, what happens with the NCAA, the NAIA, which we haven't discussed already, made changes. And then to see what the Board of Governors and, and the State Department of Education does in our state. So thank you for having us. It was uh, a great discussion.